welcome, welcome to Locally Sourced Joey. This one is a uh, really good podcast episode. I'm not going to say that any of my episodes are bad, because that's not the type of positive self-thinking that I want to promote here. But this one covers so many different bases. We are chatting with author, editor, overall good guy, Michael C. Bland, about his upcoming science fiction book, The Price of Safety, which is going to be a trilogy. So when you read this first book, if you like it, you got two more coming up. We're also talking about Michael's experience pitching a movie to Columbia Pictures, uh, which just sounds like the most intense pitch that I would ever even, I can't even imagine being a part of it. He handles it with grace, panache, all the other good adjectives you want to say. We also talk a little Prince because, well, well then you'll find out why we're talking Prince. And then uh, wrapping up with a couple of uh, cool invention ideas. So anyone, if you're an engineer out there, I, I need you to be listening. But anyway, let's hop right on in with Michael, who's, uh, who's going to give us a little bit of an elevator pitch because that's what we do. I like to pressure people immediately to talk about themselves. All right, let's take it away. I am what I think of a humorous person who has a, a really different uh, set of skill sets because on one side, I love my writing and I have a book coming out next year and do editing and that kind of stuff. And then my day job is I deal with numbers. So I have both sides of my brain that work at the same time. Not always well, but they both work. Are you an Excel uh, wizard then? Um, I'm an Excel user. I don't know if I would call myself a wizard, um, but I, I definitely uh, really know my way around a spreadsheet. I actually can, I learned a thing called pivot tables uh, last last year, which made me very excited. Well, <laughs> not very excited, but you know, I, I felt at least not a complete dork. So. <laughs> That's really the good, uh, <laughs> the best you can hope for. I, I really sold myself there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully the elevator didn't get stuck or anything, but otherwise not too bad. <laughs> well, everyone, that's usually when people start really pushing all the buttons really quick to get out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then it gets caught in between floors. It's just disastrous from there. Yeah. Like, why are you screaming? Stop screaming. I, I did not realize this, but when I was uh, creeping around your site earlier, I the drummer for Prince is named Michael Bland. Uh, is that right. why you've added the the C or is it just, was that just a happy no, coincidence? That, that's totally why I added the C. I, I'm like, yeah, I Google myself. I'm like, drummer for Prince? <laughs> and I, anyone who, who knows me knows that I'm not, nearly not that cool or coordinated. So I'm like, okay, I have to throw the C in there. Are you yeah. a Prince fan? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Prince fan. Um, so I'm a concert um, in Chicago four years ago, I think, four or five years ago. He was fantastic. I mean, just he played over two hours and was nonstop. He was absolutely incredible. That's wonderful. I always I kind of have a little bit of regret. He, I went to school at Miami uh, the year that he played the halftime show for the Super Bowl and had a chance oh, to, wow. to go into the crowd uh, for the halftime show, but then ultimately chose not to do it. And at the time, it was like mm. pouring rain. And I was like, I think I made the right decision. But now I'm like, I don't know. That still would have been really cool. Even if I was mostly in an area where I probably couldn't even see him. And was just kind of like hanging so out in the ground. But yeah. Yeah. But Very I'll live vicariously cool. through you. So we'll, we'll survive yeah. that way. Um, but yeah, you, uh, you hinted at this, that you have your very first novel coming out, The Price of Safety, coming out next year. Yeah, absolutely. What's it all about? 
So uh, what it's about, it's set about 30 years roughly in the future where technology is so interwoven that no crime goes unsolved. Where um, the main character, Jerry Quintera, uh, his 19-year-old daughter commits a crime. And so he covers it up to save her life, and that starts them down a rabbit hole where he discovers that nothing that he believes is true. Dang, that sounds intense. How did, how did that come, come about, that idea? It, it, through, through a few different things. One of the, the biggest things is uh, when I lived in Chicago, I loved taking the L all the time. Um, going on, onto the L, onto the subway train, and everyone is on their phones. I'm like, I could walk around naked on this train. Not that anyone wants want that, but you know, I could walk around and no one would, would know. No one would, be, would have any idea. But at the same time, along the ceiling of the train car are these cameras. So while no one's watching, potentially someone's always watching. And so that dichotomy really interested me and really kind of started down the road that led to this book. That's super interesting. I grew up in Chicago as well, so very familiar with the L. And I, oh, nice. yeah, definitely, uh, definitely agree that <laughs> there were many times where I was just like, huh, there's, and then when something weird was happening, it's, it still seemed like no one really paid any attention to it. Like I'm, <laughs> I mean, I think being a writer, we, you know, our brains might be wired a little differently to kind of always be looking at things like that. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm always oh, yeah. observing what's going on. I think people watching is one of the most fascinating things that anyone can do. Uh, well, yeah. And and this was just such a fascinating kind of thing, you know, because, you know, of course, conflict and what drives your character and, and to try to protect your loved one or your child or, or spouse or whatever. And how do you then compete? How do you then do that in a world where potentially they're always watching? Absolutely. So yeah. There's definitely, yeah, definitely kind of an element in, in there are aspects in the book uh, kind of like Minority Report, a little bit of kind of like that world kind of thing, uh, and then a little bit with 1984. Not that the full Big Brother is there, but it's on its way there, kind of thing. And I've I had a blast writing it. Yeah, and I'd love to hear a little more about the process of writing it. How you know how long did it take you from conception to completing it? What was the most challenging part? The most enjoyable part? All that good stuff. Ooh. Okay. Um, it took, okay. So I, I, just to take a step back. So when I was coming up with, with this idea, I had other ideas as well. And in fact, I've got more ideas that I, I don't, I know what to do with and I'm not saying that like bragging, I'm saying that like, <laughs> holy crap, what do I, what do I do? So what I ended up doing was I, you know, kind of like the, 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 you know, a little pitch on the back of a book, um, you know, a little two paragraph, what's the story about? So I wrote 18 of those. Actually, I, I had it originally to 26, and I dropped, dropped down to 18. And so then I gave it to my family and friends and said, if these were the back of a book, which one would you want to read first? And this one was the one that won. So then it was like, interesting. So in fact, it was just kind of in the middle of the pack. Didn't really even think much of it at first. Not that not negative, but just, I, you know, as a writer, you think every idea you come up with is fantastic. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, which, which child do you start to develop first? Right. So when, when I had that response, I was like, okay, I, I think I can definitely work with this. And I really like the idea of you know, 30 years in the future. Cause you know, while I love sci-fi and, and there's some fantastic stories and, and things out there, you know, one of my things is kind of the near future. 
something that could still meet in our lifetime, but also surprising. And thinking about where we were 30, 40 years ago, even actually, probably that's not even a good analogy, more like 50, 60 years ago, because things are accelerating so quickly. If you drop someone from 60 years ago into 2019, uh, they might, you know, blow something in the brain because between you know, our, our the internet and the speed of everything and our cell phones and all of these aspects, all these things and, you know, uh, uh, Amazon Echo and all this, everything, um, just they would be blown away because it com- seems like complete science fiction. So now magnify that what's going to be in 30 years. So I tried to, so part of it is creating the world and is what would be plausible 30 years from now. Like one of the things is everyone in, in my book has a, a small implant in their brain and it allows for constant access to the internet and, and all that stuff. And I mean, it's, which is in a way just one step away from having it in our hands. We just have it. We can just without even gesturing, we can access the internet type of thing. So, but then at the same time, well, why would they do that? What makes sense? And how would that technology work? And so coming up with that stuff. So that was kind of like the underline, you know, the world building stuff. Um, but then the part of the most challenging part actually wasn't that. That was actually a lot of fun. And some things that um, I have that's going to then work into the, the second and third book and I'm really excited about. Um, but then the, the, the biggest challenge for me was I just, it's, I guess kind of the analogy is you're in a fog. Okay. A story can go a billion, trillion different ways. And it's picking what, is the best path to do it. And so I'm, in case you can't tell, I'm more of the planner ahead of time instead of the pantser, instead of just, hey, I'm gonna sit down and start writing and see where it goes um, because I wanted the best possible story. So in fact, the, the first scene of the book is the sixth, ver- sixth or seventh version of what I originally had for the, how the book started. And it was only after that process, and I actually had about 100 pages just of notes before I started writing it. And I know people work differently and, and have different ways of thinking and processing all this stuff, but this is the way my, my crazy brain works, is I have to write down every single idea that I have and then filter through. And almost in a way like a jigsaw puzzle, oh, this is a really great idea, but no, that works actually over here. And this one, maybe if I do that and if I build here, you know, and so... It's, um, you know, it's almost like if you live in a, a multiverse where you have different realms and all that stuff, it's almost, that's what writers almost are is, well, in this universe, this person died. No, in this one, they're actually, you know, a celebrity in this person, you know, so you're going back and forth, but you're just trying to pick what's the absolute best one. So by the time I started writing the draft, I had already been working on the book for over a year and my family's <laughs> like, how's the book coming? I'm like, Great. How far did you write into it? Well, I haven't actually started writing it. And of course, they give you that crazy, crazy look that you know family does when you know for writers, all writers get that. Of course, They're like yeah. yeah, just you know, just deal with it. You know, you'll see. So then, once I actually did the rough draft, it only took just under three months to write the the rough draft. Wow. Um, and it was about 110 pages, and then it was about another about year of editing. And I did get it professionally edited at one point. Um, and I've had it edited by, uh, looked at review, you know, one professional and then a couple of non-professional editing 
and going through that entire process until I thought it was good enough. Was it tough uh, seeing your work get edited or because I know some people are just like, oh, that's like I poured so much into that. And then you see all that red or lines getting crossed out. Well, uh, well, honestly, in in a way, yes, in a way, no. And and the reason is because this is the first book that I've written. So if you're absolutely right, the first book, oh, my God, yeah, and you can't you you can't delete anything because it's magic. (laughs) Brilliant. You know, and, and that's the thing. And, and also, this is why I'm also a planner versus a pantser because I've, I discovered one, one of my flaws, one of my flaws, is that if I write a scene, I can find something in it, even though it has nothing to do with the story, even though it's the biggest waste of words, there's something in it that is important with a capital I to me. Well, if it's in the outline stage, Oh, I can cut the slice and dice and move around. It doesn't matter because I'm looking at the story and the tone and the pace and what characters do and all that stuff before I should write it. So then when I write it, everything is, you know, you know like the, the saying goes that you do not waste a single word in your novel. Well, that's what I did. Is I got to the point where every single paragraph, sentence, and I didn't like consciously do it, but in a way consciously do that because you, you need to do that because not only is you know, is it important to be concise in what you're writing, but I mean, let's be honest. This is 2019. In 1930s, like I, I reread Great Gatsby not that long ago. I don't know if you've read that recently. I'm sure you, like most people, were you know told to read it back in high school or middle school or whatever. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> that thing. That yeah. That thing wouldn't have been published nowadays. It's seven pages of like exposition before a single thing happened. <laughs> That's, I'm not going to lie, that's how I felt reading it back in high school. (laughs) I actually forgot that. But it's totally, that's what it is. And and nowadays, there's no way that could get published. Not only because that's not the way that uh, things are written nowadays and the way that uh, what readers like to read and everything else for the most part, but on top of that is nowadays, unlike the 30s or 20s, you're fighting all the distractions we have, the cell phone, the TV, the internet, every single thing podcast, everything that, that will distract and pull you away from novel. And that's just the way the world is. So you have to capture a reader, hold that reader the entire time. If you ever have a spot where they put the book down, you're dead because chances they're going to pick it back up are virtually nil. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm like trying to Sorry. envision Greg Gatsby now. And how, <laughs> right? how flowery yeah. it was. Yeah. You can just pull up the, you know, even you just do a, uh, you know, pick it up next time at the library or the bookstore, I mean, and just start reading the first page and you'll be like, seriously? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. You know, it's like, the, and, and I'm totally I'm not dissing at all. All I'm saying is just that structure, that design just wouldn't work nowadays. And so you have to be, you know, on, on top of the story and as, con, as tight and as concise as possible. And um, actually this, What's interesting, well, I don't know what's interesting, it's interesting to me, is that at first I didn't know where I was going with the story. I knew what I wanted, but I wasn't totally sure where I was going with it. And then still in the editing uh, outline stage is when it hit me. And I was one of those, the ending made the most, it's one of those, I knew it was the right ending because it's the way, it's where the story had to go. But it surprised even me. Nice. Those are the best stories though, right? Right? And, and I mean, I forget what I was doing, but I just remember I, I just stopped it and was 
stunned and it just you know randomly hit me at one point and i said okay that's perfect now th- this book is actually the first of a trilogy and i never planned it to be a trilogy um but i also okay for me the analogy is the matrix okay the original matrix movie which i thought was brilliant and at the end it had a beginning middle and had an end it wasn't a cliffhanger kind of bs it was it had an ending but last scene is him remember in the phone book telling the agents hey we're gonna see what happens next so it was a great story in that okay it told the story but then it was like well well then what happens and that's i'm very i feel very blessed that that's what happened with me with this book so now i'm i'm writing uh i've got the second or third i know what's going to happen overall now it's more kind of the, the details and I've already got, for the second book, I, <laughs> I have about 110 pages of notes. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's my process. And, and the, the thing is, at the end, when you as the reader read it, hopefully you never are aware of it because I, just the story takes you and runs with it. And I'm really excited with the, the twists and the turns and what happens with this. That's awesome. I'm very excited to read it. I Even though my... My main, uh, I guess, exposure to your writing is through the BookPod newsletter that you, I, I believe, volunteered to do back in the day. I possibly were thrusted into <laughs> well, the position. Who knows? <laughs> well, I think the word might be coerced. No, um, no, it was, it was actually a really, really nice sister. Um, and oh, one last thing, because the BookPod, the news writing, which, which we'll talk about, it's very humorous. The price of safety isn't humorous it's got a little bit of humor in it but it's just a different tone tone because of what the story is um but you're right so with the newsletter um ishan lee was the one that was that was writing it she was just getting so busy in fact i saw her last weekend and she's just even busier than she was before she just couldn't put the time into it that she wanted to so uh jen brody who uh, is you know the creator of book pod um asked my really good friend robert Quebec um what you know, who she, he thought that um, she should ask to take over as the newsletter. And so he, he uh, said me, uh, so she reached out and, and so it was, I was like, Hey, it was great. Absolutely. And the first time that I sent out, um, you know, sent out the email to everybody and or the post saying, Hey, you send me your news and I'm going to send up something next week. And then I got everybody's response in and I was like, what, what the hell do I do? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, okay, I don't want to be like, well, here's your news, and, you know, Jen did this, and Joey did that, and, you know, that's, I mean, not that bad, but just seemed very bland, if I could say that, um, and trust me, I make a lot of jokes about my last name, because my last name is bland, so, um, <laughs> yeah, and whenever I, like, order pizza, and they're like, you know, what's your last name, bland, can you spell it? I said, yeah, like, boring, dull, tasteless, they're like, oh, I get it, I'm like, yeah. So um, they never asked again how to spell it. They do that. Um, <laughs> and by the way, there, there's a reason why my wife did not say my last name because I kept making that joke too many times. Um, but so with so then with the newsletter, I get all these things and I'm like, well, you know, I could do you know something a little obnoxious. So I I wrote it, but I was still you know one of those you're not totally sure what the reaction is, and, and everybody loved it. So after that, it was like, oh, be careful what you wish for. And so since then, it's been uh, definitely game on. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's gotten uh, more ambitious from when you first started, which is always, always an enjoyable ride. 
<laughs> Thank you. It's there were a few that even when you know it's bad when as I'm writing it I start to chuckle. <laughs> and I know that oh god this is gonna be yeah it's it's gonna be good. Excellent. Do you have any tips for for anyone listening who might have a newsletter of their own? I I feel like this could be you know a little different because it is such a tight knit community. But I mean that's kind of what email newsletters are anyway, right? It's a, a community of people all interested it, in the same thing. It, it is, and it's one of those have fun with it. And, and actually, I was talking to uh, Linda Rigby earlier um, because she is actually setting up a uh, Google network, um, you know, community, online community for uh, her editor group in, in uh, L.A. And, you know, as, as I was telling her, really, one of the biggest things is tone, you know, having the right tone and ha- trying to, and having fun with it. I mean, look, we all get, you know, the emails, you know, the, the Best Buy thing for the day or the, you know, you need to make sure to sign up for what or whatever or, you know, donate to this or donate to that. Not to mention, you know, regular work emails, all stuff. So to have something fun and that will lighten up your day. And not to mention the, the reason behind the pod is to celebrate people's news. So if you're dour about it or, I don't know, bitter, <laughs> you're bitter about it, like <laughs> freaking Betty got the book contract. You know, I mean, that, what kind of person are you to be doing that role then? <laughs> that's not what you should be. Yeah, you know, it's not how you should be. You know, instead it's, and not, I don't, I don't mean to tell anybody how they should or shouldn't be, but I'm just thinking in that role, I would think that you would want someone who is positive and upbeat and, you know, maybe a little goofy because also the more a little bit goofy, the more we'll keep reading because what else is this guy going to say or this woman going to say, you know, and that way it's, um, it helps highlight the people that are in the, that newsletter newsletter and, help to highlight and have people see and read and get excited about their accomplishments. You know, especially writing and how it is so subjective and is so uh, frustrating at times and can be, uh, you know, really, you know, really beat you down. And Hey, I've, I've done, I've been there as well. And what would I want in a newsletter? Well, I want something that was very dry or, or, or bland. See, like, <laughs> um, it's all my life. And even my dad's like, why do you make Jack Blaine jokes? I'm like, hello. Anyway, um, you know, but to have that attitude, try to just be positive, upbeat and have fun with it. And honestly, for me, it's, it's a blast to do because occasionally I'll just have some really crazy thought and just really run with it. And not going to win most of the time it works. Awesome. I think that's a good way to approach things in life in general. Let's have some fun with it. Yeah, try to. I mean, look, we, we all have, you know, bills to pay. We all have, you know, uh, exes and we all have, you know, certain things we have to deal with. But, you know, man, if we can have some fun with it and if we can, you know, ha- have a little bit of joy, even if, you know, the, the jokes fall flat, hey, at least I'll try it. If the jokes keep falling flat, then I get booted <laughs> in my role. But, hey, I, then I the cane and, comes out and pulls and you no away. Foul and just because people have a sense of humor. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, hey, it's, it, it is fun. And I love the responses from it. You know, that is, it means so much that, you know, having that positive feedback, just, hey, I'm human like anybody else. You know, if I sent out something I thought was funny and, there's like no response. And there was one, like I think three months ago. And I knew as I was writing, I'm like, I think I'm trying to be funny, which is usually like the worst. <laughs> and yeah, I think there were like two comments the whole month. And I was like, yeah, okay. That, that one sucked. And the next month I actually was just like, well, I think it was indirectly funny. It was, I was just more kind of 
that, that was the, the one about um, a friend of mine who was starting to date again. And, you know, she's like, do you have any, any advice? And I said, yeah, make them work for it. <laughs> and then from there, that kind of filtered into the rest of the, the um, you know, into my little post. Something else that I hope you had some fun with was you got to pitch Columbia Pictures last year. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be and what that whole, I think it was a five minute pitch, what that whole five minutes was like? Oh my God, this, this thing was uh, one of the coolest experiences and was on such a random, random thing. So, <laughs> so of course, you know, my sister knows that I, I write and she, so I, I wrote this novel called Lawyers Can't Fly. And it's a guy who becomes the lawyer for superheroes. And he doesn't want to become the lawyer because people lose their arms and legs when they're around superheroes and superheroes are getting tired of getting sued every, day, every time they super sneeze. And so... Um, they tried, they, they end up tricking him into becoming a superhero, which, you know, they hound him and, and they end up tricking him into it, which of course, cause it's really hard to ignore people in shiny tights. So <laughs> they, he becomes their lawyer for 30 days. And so his world gets turned upside down and, and he gets drunk on these crazy adventures and then superheroes start to disappear and one ends up dead. And before he knows it, he becomes their only hope for survival. So I wrote this novel and you know, as you can tell, that's more my humorous side came out. I mean, the main character's name is Benjamin Bite Me. Um, <laughs> and then the uh, the main superhero, the poster boy, is, is Mighty Man, who is you know, like super strong, can fly, and, and virtually invincible, but not the brightest guy. Will Benz. And in fact, he he doesn't gain any weight. So during the every every time you see him in the book, he's eating something like, you know, bacon dipped in chocolate and deep fried, whatever, you know, because he, he doesn't gain weight. So what the hell are he junk all the time? So anyway, this humorous idea. So I got an email out of the blue from my sister who lives in Columbus, Ohio. And it was this article about, um, have you heard of wizard world fest? Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> Okay, it's, it's like Comic-Con. Okay. It's a version of Comic-Con. And so there was an article, and it was a news article, saying that they had uh, partnered with Columbia Pictures, that attendees at Wizard World Fest, they could, um, you could apply, you could submit an idea for a movie. And they did it in three, movie, in three cities. Geez. Portland, Oregon, uh, Columbus, Ohio, and Philadelphia. So I was like, huh, all right. So I, I clicked on the link, and you can only you only have a five day window. But okay, whatever. So I clicked on the link, and you put in your name, the title of your book, a one sentence, what's your story about, a up to two hundred word synopsis of the story, and then a little bio on you. Well, I've, I have query letters all ready to go for it. Everything else, so it literally took me like thirty seconds. So I'll take that this paragraph from the query letter, put it in. Here's that. Here's my one sentence log line. Here's my little bio. Boom, Smith. I just said, thank you. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great, whatever. So I kid you not, a week and a half later, um, I'm sitting on, on my bed, talking to my wife, you know, how's your day, all this stuff. And I pulled my, uh, on my phone, pulled my email, and I glance, and I suddenly interrupt my wife, and I say, um, so we need to go to Columbus this weekend. <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> I said, um, because I've been selected to pitch my story to Columbia Pictures. And so then I called my sister and I said, I really hope that uh, you guys don't have any plans this weekend because we're coming to town. And she was like, what? And I found out later 
she sent me that link as a lark. I'm like, what do you think it's a lark? You don't think I'll take it seriously? Come on. I mean, if I had a chance, you know, roll the dice. What are we going to lose? I have to pay a dime. Just threw it up there, right? And they selected me. So, well, you know, of course, you know, late minute, last minute flight to Columbus and buying a ticket thing wasn't cheap. But, I mean, not that I'm going to say no. So we got there really late that Friday night, Saturday morning, got a few hours of sleep, and then went to the convention center where the Wizard World Fest. And what's funny is at the same time as Wizard World Fest is going on in one area, one part of the um, convention center area, which they don't have a very big convention center, but that's fine. Another area is, I swear, was some sort of like Bible study something or other uh, thing that they have going on. So you have all these people dressed up in various superhero and Harry Potter and everything else. We were right by these, uh, you know, Bible carrying people buttoned up. And I'm like, wow, this this is a story right here. I should, <laughs> I should write this thing. Um, but it was great. And uh, Ken, Ken Soros. Um, he was Kevin Soros. He was the actor in I forget what TV show. Um, but he passed me as we're doing. I'm like, hey, what's up? And he didn't respond, which hurt. But anyway, um, so <laughs> uh, went upstairs, and so I'm supposed to be in the 11:30 group. Well, um, my wife, who oh, is amazing, she's like, we need to get there like 10:30. We need to scope the place. All right. So we did, and I, I looked in the room, and it's just this very basic, you know, portioned off room uh all it's just a very long table and like three chairs and one chair on the other side I'm like oh okay so we start scoping the people that are coming in and and then we see the two execs from columbia pictures these two women that, that came in and um come to find out that i was in the second group and there were only four people per group and there were only four groups total so only 16 people got chosen wow so i was like oh well, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. And we ended up talking to uh, one of the guys that went in the first group, and he had pitched in Portland, and so then also pitched again here. So I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And, and, you know, asked how it went. He thought it went well. He had this series that he wanted to do. I'm like, okay. And then as uh, then I started talking to um, the people in my group, and one of them has uh, this book published, a superhero novel, and it's, so he, you know, was going to pitch that for a movie, um, and another guy works for is a writer for Second City in Chicago, and he has a pilot for a TV show that won some award, and I forget what award he said that he, that he won, and so he was hoping that Columbia Pictures might be interested in, in turning into a TV show or a movie. And I'm like, I don't think Columbia Pictures does TV, but maybe <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't follow that closely, so I don't know. And I realized what, what it made sense that Columbia Pictures is doing this because other than Venom, they don't have superheroes. You know, Disney has Marvel, and they're, like, just printing money, which, you know, I'm jealous, but it's fantastic for them. Um, Warner Brothers has DC, which they keep trying to screw up and then try to and then do good stuff. And then, you know, um, but they – so they have the, the DC heroes. But Columbia, Sony, they, all they have is Venom. So it makes sense that they'd be looking for – superheroes right I and mean, it's very popular yeah. and especially and what really helped was guardians of the galaxy no one knew what the hell guardians of the galaxy was and except for a you know very uh you know a small portion of fans and then everyone knows now what happened they, they actually exploded so just because you're not a name you're not batman superman iron man 
Spider-Man, you can still be have a successful huge hit. So, you know, of course you get the nerves and, and all this and trying to decide. And the other thing is, what what do I pitch? And if you remember, I, I posted on BookPod. I'm like, so everybody, I got I got five <laughs> minutes. What 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 do I say? Right. Yeah. So, and had got some really good advice. Um, which I think he even pitched in and gave some advice as well, if I remember. Um, but it was all really great advice. So went in there and um, and right as I went in, I, I did with my watch. I started the timer because I was really curious, you know, how long I would actually get. And so I went in, and if you guess you can't tell, I already I can start to talk really quickly when I, especially when I'm kind of excited and I got the adrenaline going. And so I kept the whole time my mentally, I'm like, slow down, slow down, slow down. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll just be a blur, right? So, but but I went in there, and so I explained, and it was interesting because I thought they'd read the, the, the my synopsis, the 200 word brilliant thing that got me there in the first place, and I don't think they did. So I was like, huh. So I did the the quick. And then I dove into it in more detail. And when I mentioned about and Mighty Man, so he eats anything that he wants because he doesn't gain a pound. One of the women said, so we hate him. I said, yeah, you kind of do, but he's also really endearing. So you kind of love him. He's a lovable loser or lovable guy. And, you know, and so going into that, and every time I made a joke, they laughed. They're leaning forward. I'm like, okay, that's a good sign. And at one point I said, you know, after the superheroes, after they all get um, taken and Ben realizes that, He's the only one that can save them. He realizes that not only do they need him, but he realizes that also he needs them. And they both went, aw. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then I also made a point to, because I'm, I'm not, not a complete idiot, is I, I then took a, a couple minutes to say, you know, the, the world is big enough that I've created is there's so many different stories. There's so many things you can do. You know, another, another story could be that Mighty Man decides that, you know, Ben really needs to have his own superpower. So they, he's going to take him on this journey to find him a superpower. You know, uh, you know, it's all these different kinds of things you can do. And, and you know, there's a huge cast of characters with these superheroes and you can do so many different things with everything else. And like I said, they're, they're laughing and they're forward and all this stuff. And then they're like, okay, we'll be in touch. <laughs> okay so i guess i'm gonna stand up now and, and walk out of the room and okay so after that um went across the street and, and started to drink because i mean you know what, what else are you gonna do right course, yeah. um, to i guess celebrate i mean i didn't know if it went well if it went bad but you know hey it was a fun great experience it kind of went by in a blur i was actually there for seven minutes so i was a rebel i went two minutes over wow let you go um but I know, right? I'm total rebel. <laughs> um, but I think it went well. And, but then, you know, then the thing at the end, I was like, well, okay, I guess not. That's fine. Well, 10 days later, um, I got an email from the same Wizard World Columbia Pictures thing that said, hey, we would like to see your full manuscript. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm like, so I guess they didn't like it. So, um, and I'd, of course, you know, sign this other thing. Yes, these are all my characters. Yes, it's, it's my property, and I have rights to sell it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I uploaded it and haven't heard anything since. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and, you know, who knows? I mean, they, they could have, you know, read the first chapter and like, oh, this, this really sucks. Or they could have been like, you know, hey, this is good. We need to find talent for it, and especially at the bigger world, so you'd want to have – 
you know, the right cast, you know, the right director and blah, blah, blah. And so we'll see. Yeah. Some, some movies have taken what, like 20 years to, to get off the ground, right. maybe even longer than that. So that's, this is like a, a breeze. Yeah. 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 So yeah, at the very least I, I felt, you know, that at least there, there was merit in the idea and, and you know, that kind of thing. So I'm really excited. And, you know, Hey, like we said, I could randomly get a phone call someday and or an email and said, "Yeah, we want to, you know, make make a movie." Okay, sure. <laughs> totally down to that, um, you know, and and have a blast with it. Um, oh, and with the price of safety, um, there, you know, there, that's my my publisher also has an arm that develops for TV and movie rights, so there might be, you know, something down the road there. We'll see. So lots of lots of hands in the cauldron, it seems like. Right, good stuff, man. Love it. And I'm working on the the two sequels right now, The Price of Safety, and uh, which I'm really excited about. So um, yeah, well, uh, the the book should come out next year, and then um, I, I, I believe the first part of next year, um, and then yeah, we'll be growing from there. That's fantastic. Uh, and and. As you know, because I told you uh, that every episode ends with a with a top three, uh, which we're going to get into. Uh, but I did want to ask really quickly, since you also do editing work, uh, how I yeah. uh, your experience as an editor has kind of helped you as a writer, if it has at all. Absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely has. And really, anybody who who is writing really needs to. Or again, I hate to say people needs to, but those who can edit at least their own stuff is going to be so far ahead of everybody else only because no one writes what they write is perfect the first time around. Um, Gone with the wind. I, I heard that she wrote the first chapter. I want to say like 22 times or 26 Ooh. times or something like that. So just, just because you can write books are so difficult because you have so many aspects and especially the first Chapter two has so much that I have to carry to set the stage for the entire book. And you know, so there's so many aspects you need to keep in mind and juggle and filter in without it being obvious to the reader what you're doing. Because if you don't, then you're, you know, the, the groundwork is going to be off. And you, um, you, you have to have that separation from it and like one thing um stephen king and his on writing talked about is after you write something put it in a drawer for six weeks work on any something else anything else and because that gives that separation because if you immediately start editing as soon as you finish writing a book you're going to miss 90 percent of what you're trying to edit and try to accomplish work on something anything else develop new characters, develop a new story, develop, you know, start writing. Even if it's something that is really just kind of helping purge your novel or, or story out of your brain. So then you can start editing it. Um, and it's, it, it's so important because honestly, if someone that it's known, if you aren't known, if you're not already a John Grisham and, and, you know, uh, Daniel Steele and all that, then you're not going to, no one's going to waste, spend the time to edit for you unless you want to pay them. No agent is going to do that. No one. And in fact, so with the, the price of safety and uh, my, my contract, right after I got the contract, I had sent out some letters to literary agents and 
literally the day that I got the, the book contract, which four days after the publisher got the book, they offered me the contract. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, four days. And that same day, I got two rejections from literary agents for representation. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, this is such a subjective industry, as, as you know, as I'm sure everyone that's listening knows. And it's just that's the nature of the beast. So the more that you can do for yourself, honestly, that that's, will get you that much closer to where you want to be. Um, and I, I've edited short stories. I've edited novels. In fact, um, I, I want to mention Robert Kerbeck, his novel Malibu Burning is going to be coming out um, later this year, I believe in November. Um, it's a nonfiction um, with a little bit of a memoir um, about the, the Malibu fire and Robert and his family fought in the fire. And it's absolutely fascinating. It's heartbreaking um, and it's really good. And I, I don't say it just because I helped edit it. Um, <laughs> it. It's a great story, but I also, you know, helped edit that. Um, and, you know, a couple of novels as well and short stories all stuff. But, you know, I want to mention that since that's coming out later this year. I think your readers would really enjoy it. Yeah, I remember uh, reading a personal essay he did on that. And it was, yeah, just like, I can't even imagine being in the middle of what he was going through. So that that's, yeah, that'll definitely be a good one. Yeah, yeah, facing down this wall of fire that's coming at you. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll uh, try and provide our own wall of fire here in the form of the top three. Uh, probably nowhere near <laughs> the level of seriousness. <laughs> I like to say, man, that was good. Thank you. We try, we try. I, you actually suggested this top three, uh, which I think is a really good kind of tie-in with uh, your novel coming out, which is the top three advancements that no one is talking about but you hope will become real. So what you got for us? Um, okay, one would be um, some sort of compound, probably some sort of chemical or compound that it can eat away at uh, a lot of the excess carbon dioxide that we're generating. Um, yeah, not, not to get serious for a, a second, but I just the amount of CO2 and uh, CO that we're, we're generating, carbon monoxide and dioxide, I really think that that is going to be it's not getting any better. And so I really hope there's some sort of advancement that um, is created that will help eat that away. And then on a lighter note, um, a bullshit detector, <laughs> um, a real one. I, I think that that would be awesome. I think we really need that um, even more so nowadays. Um, I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Flashing light. Be fun. Absolutely, um, yeah. And then maybe like uh, some sort of device that um, I'm a big believer in like multiple universes. I, I know, probably really surprised, but um, I really <laughs> want to be able to travel into them because, well, I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan and there's got to be at least one universe where they're good. So I'd really like to travel there and see them play and do really well. It'd be fun. <laughs> we can only hope. Is yeah. it is it uh, <laughs> especially upsetting this year that because Browns fans are getting real cocky and loud, oh. uh, and I can't imagine oh, that's enjoyable. Worse. I mean, that was the only saving grace is at least, you know, the Browns were <laughs> as bad, if not worse. And and not not to enjoy another one else's misery, but I just want them to be as bad as us. And now they look like they might actually be really good, which is very <laughs> depressing. Yeah, I just don't think that's right. You know, so we need I need to find that multiverse where – they still suck in the Bengals, like win the Super Bowl eight times in a row. That'd be fun. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. <laughs> I'll probably be the only one that wants to visit that one. Everyone else will be like, nah, I'm going to go somewhere else. 
you say that. Yeah, you might be alone in that universe outside of it'll just be you and yeah. NFL players, and that's it. Yeah, even, even my wife would be like, No, you, you go do that. I'm gonna, you know, go over here instead. So, yeah, which is fine, you know, only hurts a little. Fine. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, those are the, uh, the, the top three, I think, that, uh, you know, I think we should really get on top of. Love it. We'll be keeping our eyes out for it, and uh, hopefully by. Uh, We'll say 30 years from now, by the time your book is set in, we will hopefully have all three of those. That's our goal. I think that would be fantastic. I think uh, the scientists that are, I'm sure, are listening, maybe you guys need to get on this right away. Yes, I have a very uh, large subset of scientists that listen, so I'll make sure. Good. uh, You know, I was hoping. Yeah, they're taking diligent notes. (laughs) Well, Michael, you... You know, like patenting, you know, some, some designs. Oh, I, I hope they are at least. My goodness. At least give me some drawings. Like, give me something yeah, right? working on there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a little some mock-ups would be good. Yeah. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. Well, Michael, you are officially off the hook. You have any final words of wisdom for us? Or are you ready to take a nap? <laughs> um, uh, words of wisdom. Um, it, it, this is such a subjective thing. Yeah, again, just you know, keep... Dream, you know, keep dreaming, keep you know this alive. Um, everyone starts with nothing. Um, I love the story of uh, you heard about how Tom Clancy got discovered, right? Why he hit it big. Uh, I feel like I have heard this, but I can't remember. So enlighten us, enlighten us. Uh, back in the '80s, uh, when Reagan was president, and you know, kind of getting close to the end of his, his term, so kind of more you know softball questions. And so one uh, reporter one time. Press conference said, Oh, yeah, Mr. President, what are you reading right now? And he's like, I'm reading this really clever book called How to Throw Out October. <laughs> That's what it would have been a different week, different book. Not saying Clancy wouldn't have been cheap, but that, I mean, that, that's a PR that you, know, that you can never, you know, never plan, you can never pay for. Just that was absolutely he exploded overnight as yeah. a result. And, you know, so just, just keep, keep dreaming and, you know, don't, don't give up. Yeah, and but always but at the same time keep trying to improve your craft. Um, never, you know, never uh, stop trying to learn and, and get better. Love. And read Robert's book and read my book. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent words with them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Love it. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, and excited to read both yours and Robert's book. <laughs> Lots of reading. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me on. Uh, I've been excited about this, and and this has been a blast. I Uh, really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm glad glad to hear that. And of course, as diligent listeners of Locally Sourced Joey know, I always like to end with a very bad corny joke. So I'm going to do one that I actually just heard a couple days ago, which is what is the difference between bird flu and swine flu? One requires tweetment. The other requires oinkment. Get after it today, people. (laughs) Ah!